A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and well, of course, you would be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by Gareth McNabb, who works as Director of External Affairs at the charity Christians Against Poverty. We'll discuss the scale of poverty across the UK and what we can do to eradicate it. But first, newly released data from last year's census has been making headlines over the last week. It reveals that fewer than half the population now count themselves to be Christian, whilst more than a third of people have ticked the no religion box. Thousands of words have been written in response, ranging from humanist calls to abolish faith schools and disestablish the Church of England, to opinion pieces, some of them by me, pointing out that reports of the church's demise are always exaggerated. Let's be reassured from this outpouring of interest that people are still fascinated by the role of faith in people's lives and in society more broadly, even where they don't share or even understand it. Sunday's papers offered a fascinating window into some of these views. Some commentators suggested that a decline in faith is inevitable as nations become richer and more rational. They move away from a primitive need to invent powerful deities to provide protection and meaning. Matthew Syed in the Sunday Times cited research claiming that once a nation has become prosperous and established a strong sense of national identity, religion can melt away without ill effect. Morality has been brought, he says, within the purview of reason rather than received truth, and we can unite around ideas grounded in shared values and reality rather than fairy tales. The Observer focused on the solace that people find in faith. It cited research that has been decades in the making and now encompasses thousands of studies, suggesting faith contributes to better well-being as it provides ways to cope with life stresses. The article then offers a variety of activities that people can take up to achieve similar benefits without the inconvenience of having to believe in a deity. These include practicing mindfulness, keeping gratitude diaries, the cultivation of awe through nature, and signing up to voluntary activities in the community that help you feel better about yourself. Fascinating as these articles are, they totally miss the point. Faith is not simply a private hobby that we choose to indulge to make us feel safe or good. And as the Archbishop of York explained in the Sunday Telegraph, the story that defined our identity has never been one of overwhelming numerical growth nor fear of extinction. Quite. I am not a Christian because I find it a worthwhile or popular pastime. I'm a Christian because I find it to be true. At the centre of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus Christ himself. He offers each of us the opportunity for a relationship with him and to join with him in his great work of establishing God's kingdom on earth. From this flows the well-being and peace that society longs for. But the sticking point for many is that this is not simply a personal self-fulfillment plan. It is a plan, but it's his plan, and we must accept it entirely on his terms. This essentially is why we instinctively reject Christianity. It is simply too radical and countercultural. Faith in Jesus means accepting that we are not in control of our lives. We belong to him and no longer live for ourselves. It is liberating 
to understand that we cannot save ourselves through our own efforts. Indeed, for me personally, at least, it is the ultimate cure for anxiety. But it also means that we are called to love those who hate us and to pray for those who wish ill towards us, to forgive people that we simply cannot stand. Like I say, this is radical stuff. And when we don't model it well, it can come across as restrictive, judgmental and unattractive. I believe the explosion of interest around the census data is a real encouragement because it shows that people are still searching for purpose and meaning in their lives. As we enter a very difficult winter, we have a great opportunity to point our neighbours to Jesus through loving them in practical ways and living in such a way that people will be drawn to him. Christianity is rational, it is real and it is relevant whether people feel those things to be so or not. So our job is to be ready with an answer to those who ask for the reason for the hope that we have, but they won't ask us if our lives don't stand out as different. In Matthew 16, Jesus calls his followers to let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. We want people to understand that the one who called the universe into existence wants to reach into their lives and offer them his unconditional love, a love so amazing, so divine that it demands my soul, my life, my all. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. And so to today's guest, the Director of External Affairs of Christians Against Poverty, Gareth McNabb. Welcome, Gareth. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Tim. Nice to see you. Lovely to see you too. Let's, let's just begin with, let's begin with you. Tell me a little bit about your coming to faith and uh, why you can't count yourself as a Christian. Uh, well, uh, my family grew up, uh, my very early years, uh, my parents didn't know Jesus, uh, we didn't do church, we probably popped along to a Sunday school occasionally at the top of the road, quite traditional, uh, but then through um, a set of circumstances that on this end of things are clearly God-ordained, uh, my parents started attending the local Salvation Army, uh, where um, uh, through the words of the songs and the activities of the young people, I came to want to be a friend of Jesus. Um, I acknowledged that I'd done things wrong and that he showed a better way to live. So I wanted to be a Christian. I can still remember the words of the junior soldier promise. I won't burn time on the podcast reciting them to you. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, and that stood me well for a few years. Uh, teenage years, uh, teenage things happened. Um, uh, and uh, my first year at university, I experienced a number of crises, a, a mental health crisis, a uh, uh, um, a personal relationship crisis uh, and I reached the point of suicidality and halfway through a suicide attempt Tim um, mm. I heard the voice of the father say you're my son and I love you and I realized that the foundations that that teaching had put in me all those years helped me recognize the, these are the words that the father declares over the eternal son mm. and he declares them over me I'm loved uh, he's mm. pleased with me I'm accepted even though I'm at my lowest low and I am trying to end my own life, he is still speaking words of love and affirmation over me. Uh, and that's when I realized I wanted to come home uh, to him uh, and I wanted to live my whole adult life uh, for him. Uh, I was uh, baptized in the spirit according to my church tradition. Um, I was delivered from uh, addictions and that deep, deep depression. And, um, and my life has never been the same since. Uh, that's amazing. We're really, really grateful to you for sharing that with us. And I now feel that what we're about to talk about is not going to match your amazing testimony, which is a real, a real blessing to all of us. I promise you. Um, 
But let's do move on and, and talk a little bit about your professional background. So before you worked for CAP, what did you do? Uh, well, Tim, I'd start by disagreeing with you. Everything else is the overflow of what he rescued me from and what he rescued me for. He yeah. prepared good works before the foundation of the, of the world for me to do. Uh, and so uh, this is all part of the same story. Um, uh, but I know you know that. Um, uh, so before I worked at Christians Against Poverty, um, I, <laughs> I, I tried to go back to university after um, that, uh, that breakdown and that breakthrough. Um, I didn't do very well, but also partly because there was a massive distraction from the, se the second week of term called, uh, called Liz. Uh, called um, the woman who's now my wife. Uh, I realised the second time I met her, um, I felt that God was showing me that we would marry, uh, but I didn't tell her that until our wedding day, until after uh, we'd said our vows. Um, and, and so we get to the end of our second year. I want to propose. I don't think there's any chance of her dad giving me permission unless I've got a job. So I quit uni and I just get a job um, in a contact centre for Barclays Bank. And um, that was good enough for him. <laughs> I'm not sure it would be good enough for any for me if anyone comes after my daughter. Uh, but um, the, the 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 path God took me on for the next few years was very rapid promotions to uh, levels of responsibility that 23 year old men just shouldn't have in the world. Um, uh, and uh, but along the same way, um, we came across a situation where in our church of 60 people, there were about 15, 20 of us with financial services experience. And because at the end of time, Tim, I think Jesus isn't going to ask me, what did I do? He's not interested in my works. He will ask me, what did I do with what he gave me? He's interested in my faithful stewardship of the gifts he gave me. And so looking at the church, 15, 20 people in financial services of a church of only 60. Wow. What 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 did I do with what he gave me? <laughs> There's quite a lot of us here. What should we do? So, um, so I set up a debt advice ministry as part of that church, uh, Tim. Uh, and after a couple of years, my employer at the time tapped me on the shoulder and said, look, we're going, there's a financial crisis on. This is 2007, eight, mm. uh, the last one. Um, and um, we're struggling to recruit in the collections department. You have an unusual interest in personal debt, Gareth. You're a good line manager of people. Will you come and work in the collections department? And I mm. figured if, if Christians can't work in debt collection uh, and redeem it, then what's the point? We have to like there has to be something about the way we are in the world that can redeem even ringing people up and demanding money and taking their houses off of them. Uh, so that I, so I said, yes, I became a debt collector by day, debt advisor by night. It sounds like a really weird superhero mm. mix. Um, but that's what I, I knew that I was bringing in the kingdom of God um, through my volunteering for the church in the evening, but also the way that I was refining the lenders policies and practice to treat people with dignity and agency and restore some sense of justice and compassion uh, to lives that were broken because nobody deliberately gets into arrears on their mortgage. Mm. Um, nobody deliberately gets into major financial difficulty. And that was the beginning of my journey, uh, 15 years in financial services with a greater and greater level of responsibility in the world of debt collection, interacting with the world of debt advice and trying to improve policies and practices for people who are in problem debt. And so now you work for Christians Against Poverty a wonderful organisation that I've got good knowledge of and quite a number of our listeners probably will too. But for those who don't, tell us quickly what CAP does. Uh, Christians Against Poverty, we're a UK-wide organisation that partners with the UK Church, proudly partners with the UK Church, to provide a, a, a free, um, award-winning, fully regulated debt advice service, helping people get out of debt uh, right across all four nations of the UK. Alongside the debt advice service, we also provide our other services like CAP Money, which is face-to-face uh, -face financial education, 
uh, like life skills, which is helping people on a low budget um, uh, find some ways to manage um, cooking, shopping, summer holidays mm -hmm. on low budgets. Uh, and we also run our jobs clubs, helping the long term unemployed uh, find work. Uh, that group of services coming together really to help deliver our key vision, which is we want to see transformed lives. We want to see thriving churches and we want to see an end to UK poverty. Mm. Now, how possible do you think that is? Uh, how how achievable is ending poverty in the United Kingdom and how would we go uh, about? Easy, Tim. We're going to come up with another vision in six weeks because we think we'll have nailed it. <laughs> um, it's a big vision, but it's a big God we serve. Mm. It's a huge church, 43,000 churches across the UK. And um, it's a vision that we can't do alone. Um, but it is a vision that captures hearts and wins lives to people who want to serve. And um, it is something we sometimes get challenged about because of a famous verse that people quote only half mm. of. Uh, to hmm. us around um, in what way is it reasonable to seek to end poverty if Jesus himself said the poor you will always have with you hmm. um, and there's a range of answers I give to that one depending on what I just said in someone's heart but here's, here's a simple version the rest of that verse is and you can do good to them whenever you want so what yeah. good are you going to do to the poor today yeah and um, the longer version is you go back to Deuteronomy 15 and actually the Lord um, Jesus's father <laughs> like the two of them are not going to disagree on this that the father says that that you there is no need for there to be poor in your land mm. as he's giving it to Israel. He later mm. makes the concession that because Israel will not comply with all of his laws, then there will always be poor with you. And here are some provisions for the poor. Here's how to treat them. Yeah. But then you roll thought forward to Acts and the New Testament community of God, who in pooling their resources and treating no one thing as if it was their own exclusively, there were no poor among them. And many theologians believe that that's probably the first time that the people of God actually experienced a total lack of poverty. So poverty is uh, exists in the earth, but because of the fall, because of human choices, mm. because of fallen human choices, mm. uh, that means it can and will be redeemed by Jesus's death and resurrection. And anything that can and will be redeemed by his death and resurrection is available to us in a part as his people mm. here today. And we're mm. called to bring in his kingdom um, so I believe an end to poverty in the UK is possible it's certainly um, aspirational um, I think I think we can see it in our lifetimes but I am going to give my whole lifetime to trying. Wonderful and, and you say that the, the cap vision for achieving that is something you're about to share with us in a few weeks time. Transformed lives thriving churches and an end to UK poverty the 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 the, the three come together as one. It's a very Christian vision, very Trinitarian. Mm. Um, we've uh, we've always uh, committed that our services are available through and with uh, the church. We celebrate uh, the, the church. We don't think we can do what we do without the church. And mm. um, the, the, the vision around um, the, the ending of UK poverty is something that we've been uh, doing quite a bit of research on through the first half of uh, this year. We're beginning to draw some of our um, services and, and church leaders and others into reviewing uh, some of the plans for that and as we roll into 2023 that's the start of a next set of strategic priorities uh, mm. Tim, where there's a, a five-year cycle of of new and, and fresh aims that we have as a charity where we'll begin to refine our focus on those three points of the vision we know that we can't do it all through delivering services there's 14 million people in poverty in the UK today and um uh, getting each one of them through brilliant debt advice and a life skills uh, course and plugged into a local church uh, will take a very, very long time. We're not going to end UK poverty one by one 
although we will always stop for the one. We're going to have to see an end to UK poverty by winning hearts and minds of the public and particularly those in power. There's some campaigning and influencing to do as well as delivering brilliant services in partnership with churches to do. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're talking to Gareth McNabb, Director of External Affairs for Christians Against Poverty. Gareth, you said earlier that there are 14 million people living in poverty in the UK at this moment. Can you talk me through some of the figures underlying the level of poverty that we're facing in the UK at the moment through this cost of living crisis? And then maybe some anecdotes that help us to see just the humanity of it. 14 million, that's one in five of the population. And um, when you roll back uh, through the through the stats, uh, it was about one in five five years ago. It was about one in five ten years ago. And you can keep going. Um, mm. um, and and when you do that, sometimes you can get a bit disillusioned about those stats. What's the point? Uh, who's this upstart coming on your podcast saying we can end poverty when for all the time you've been in politics, Tim, it's been one in five of the population. Um, it's a very knowing look you give me. Um, mm. But. But but see, we know that within those numbers, uh, 2001 two something happened. The proportion of pensioners in poverty started to plummet. They were the group most affected by poverty at one point. They're now the group least affected by poverty, still very significantly. Mm-hmm. And so any pensioners listening, please don't hear me saying you don't matter. Mm-hmm. But in 2001, 2002, when we introduced things like the Warm Home Discount Scheme, Pension Credit Guarantee, Uh, or or when you and colleagues of yours, Tim, in the house brought in additional support that was directly targeted at pensioners. Pensioner poverty dropped from nearly one in three pensioners to fewer than one in five. It's near one in six at the moment, depending on the stats that you read, which gives me hope. It means we do know how to address poverty in the UK. Um, It's through targeted intervention and it's through ensuring that people have suitable levels of income to ensure that they are treated with dignity in society and they have agency. They have the ability to make choices over their own life. So, so that's one of the stats that I reflect on. The one that gives me more concern right now is the uh, up to 8 million people who are uh, looking to use credit either coming into the winter or coming out of the winter mm. uh, to cover their essential outgoings. And um, we know uh, from the last few years, even before the cost of living crisis, that an early warning sign of problem debt is the using of credit to pay a gas bill mm. um, or, or an energy bill or, or food bill. When you start paying for your essentials with credit rather than with money that's in your own pocket, in your own hand, uh, that's a signal that there's something deeper going on that may, may need some intervention and some help. And, and there were many, many millions coming into the winter. When we polled earlier in the year in September, it was about four million uh, people and the trajectory on that is really quite steep and so coming into Christmas it looks like it's going to be nearer nearer six uh, I've seen some research that suggests that the other side of the winter it's going to be around eight million of us will have relied on credit to pay for some of our essentials um, mm-hmm. and that that to me feels like um, the one in five isn't going to go anywhere fast but we are all going to want to set our faces like flint so to say to say it's not okay this current cost of living crisis must go um, and um, uh, and poverty, we, we must follow through and not just ride this wave, but see the actual storm defeated and actually a, a society mm-hmm. where we can seat one another with the dignity and agency and power over their own lives that is part of the image of God that he endowed his creation with and said, mankind, man and woman are the pinnacle of his creation. So what would government need to do? Pick the two or three things that government would need to do to achieve at very least for 
the working age population for children what we have achieved for pensioners? Two or three things. Um, uh, so the first thing that must be done is a review of social security. Um, social security, the, the welfare state benefits were designed to ensure that when life went wrong, as it surely does for all of us at some point, that it didn't need to last your whole life and maybe into future generations. Mm. The social security state was designed and intended to be there a, a safety net uh, for when the tightrope of life is a bit tricky to keep walking on. Mm. Um, the, the adequacy, the levels of um, money in our social security system haven't been reviewed uh, to see that they are sufficient for even the most basic of needs uh, in a generation or more. Um, and uh, the, the answer that this current government gives us when we ask is there's no objective measure. Mm. Uh, really, you can't point to the stat and say it should be X pounds and pence. Um, I, I think we should at least try. I think the minimum income standard from the Joseph Brownshee Foundation with Loughborough University is a good measure uh, to point out that looks at uh, what is the level for the the most basic needs, including to participate in society. So it's not about how do you scrimp by on soup three meals a day, but it includes uh, how do you make sure your kids are able to go on a school trip? Uh, like the, the, the essentials of life that we as a society look at one another and say you should have. So that's the first thing that should happen. Uh, the second thing is um, government should stop taking money off of people arbitrarily. Uh, and so here I'm talking about deductions uh, to benefits that the government can be and is the most forceful debt collector in the state and is allowed to do things to people through their benefits that banks and energy companies aren't allowed to do themselves. And mm. um, to be able to collect debts directly from your income without assessing your affordability to pay is something I've never been allowed to do when I worked in financial services. There has to be an income and expense form. I have mm. to be able to say that Tim's going to be okay even when I take the £50 a month off of him. Um, mm. And the government doesn't have to do that. And it really should. If the government's going to insist that there mm. are regulators for essential services, the government should be above reproach in this. And that's something they could do tomorrow, just stop making those deductions mm. uh, to benefits. Uh, and then I think the third thing that could be done uh, is looking at the example, uh, the Scottish government has introduced the, the Scottish child payment, which is already showing quite a significant um, it, massive uptake. Uh, it's easy to claim. There's no stigma around it because it's for every child. It's a universal payment. And it's very quickly beginning to lift very many families out of poverty and in particular children out of child poverty. Um, we can and should look at child benefit and ensure that that is the right uh, set at the right kind of levels. If we care as much about families and children as we have done about pensioners as politicians, we could make those three material changes. Yeah, thanks so much for setting those out for us. As we come towards the end of our time together, we're really keen, and I, on behalf of our listeners, to get a sense of what we can do to be part of this of this campaign, to be uh, people who will contribute to ending poverty, person by person, family by family, and across the whole country. So what can people do? Join us in our vision. Uh, pray. Uh, I do not think that we can do any part of this alone. I can't transform a life in, in the way that Jesus can. Uh, I can't uh, see a church thrive in the way that one full of the spirit and rooted in the word of God can. And I definitely can't end UK poverty on my own. So please join us in prayer. Join the hundreds of, our, of my colleagues and the many thousands of our supporters in praying that this would come to pass. Um, consider giving. Um, the cost of living crisis is a cost of giving crisis and many people will have been reviewing their ability to give to their local church and to other charities in the light of how this is affecting many, many millions of us. 
uh, but God's people are faithful and generous um, and, uh, and not all of us actually have been affected by this cost of living crisis. Some people continue to do well and have plenty. Uh, and we know that God will only have given you that for the good of others. He doesn't give us, uh, he gives us what we need, but often through other people. So I would ask whether people would consider giving. We have a, a Christmas appeal running at the time of recording uh, this podcast um, uh, where we are seeking uh, extra income to be able to, to give emergency crisis help to the many thousands of families uh, that need it. CapUK.org uh, is where people would go to explore how to give. Um, and if you're connected with a church and you're interested in finding out more about our services and how you might be able to extend the love of God through uh, partnering with Christians Against Poverty, um, uh, then getting in touch with us at, at the website to explore the kind of services we offer would also be really helpful. Um, we have most recently added a benefits entitlement calculator to our website to help people check that they're getting everything they're entitled to. While I think the government should review the levels of social security, 15 billion pounds a year goes unclaimed in benefits. Uh, and you can find out what you and your friends and family may be entitled to by going to capuk.org forward slash benefits calculator. Uh, they're the things that I think people could do to join us in our mission, Tim. Wonderful. Um, look, I remember being told years ago at my church by our pastor then that the church was signing up to Christians Against Poverty. And I never I never heard of the organisation. I just thought, oh, this sounds all a bit, you know, well-intentioned because we are against poverty, aren't we? And then I saw what CAP do. And certainly then not just as a church member and a supporter of CAP, but as a member of parliament who does often become the person of last resort that people come to see when they're in desperate need. And the support that CAP can provide people who are in desperate circumstances, it is just amazing. And to see people's faces, um, I'm not sure if light up is the right way, but the word to use, but the, uh, the change in expression and demeanour when people in severe debt and poverty understand there's potentially a way through it because of the awesome work that CAP does, it is amazing. So just to encourage everybody out there listening to do exactly what Gareth tells you to do, um, pray, uh, give if you can, get involved in CAP in your local area. If it doesn't exist, think about helping it to set up and being a partner. Uh, Gareth, it's been an absolute joy to have you with us. I'm very, very grateful. Take care. Thanks for having me, Tim. Each week, we give you the opportunity to ask any question that you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer, so please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, this week, Peter in London has sent in this question. Politicians are renowned for avoiding admitting to voters that their idea is flawed, even when the evidence is overwhelming. In this current age, what should a Christian politician do if their political party, political philosophy or political discourse a part of this? Should they claim some of it is true until the truth finally appears, avoid the question, or stand apart and publicly disown the idea? Well, Peter, it's a great question, and I won't pretend it's not one that I've had to grapple with myself over the years. There's something that John Maynard Keynes, who I don't believe was a Christian, once said, which is that when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? Uh, which is a good rebuke to somebody who has a go at you for um, admitting that maybe the position you originally had isn't one that you believe now is so. Sometimes you might change your mind on something because the facts have changed, and we just need to be honest that they have. 
but sometimes the plan that was set out in the first place may be flawed and may be wrong. Look, I think Christians ought to be uh, marked by their relationship with truth, not just the truth about Jesus Christ, but truth in general. And that means that if you're a Christian in politics, if you think something that the other side has said has some merit in it, say so. And if you, first of all, because if you do, then when you criticise them, you'll be taken more seriously. But also when you or the party or the movement that you belong to has done or said something that is at least in part not uh, saying something that's right, then you're going to gain far more credit. You're going to be a better witness and more likely to be persuasive in the long run if you're prepared just to confess that it hasn't worked or it isn't quite as you'd hoped it was or that actually, indeed, it was wrong. I think that is something that all politicians should do. But Christians in politics have a wonderful opportunity to be a witness by just handling the truth with care. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, let's close in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we are aware, maybe in our own circumstances, but more broadly in our communities, of uh, unacceptable and growing levels of poverty. People uh, made in your image who have ultimate dignity in your sight, uh, living lives that are beneath dignity and uh, experiencing desperate hardship and shame as a consequence of the state that they find themselves in. We, Lord, pray for your hand to move in ending poverty in our country and more widely. And we thank you for using uh, Christians Against Poverty as an organisation and all the people who work and volunteer for it and support Christians Against Poverty in seeking to meet the needs of those many people who are suffering. I pray, Lord, for um, CAP's vision to be one that is your vision, and we pray that the country as a whole would seek to adopt it in taking the steps that it would mean in order to see poverty in the UK uh, decline and disappear. Lord, I pray for every single CAP centre. I pray for the resources that they need. I pray for the time that they need, the space they need, and every blessing from you uh, that they might be able to serve their clients, that you draw people to them in need, and they would find that you are there through your people to meet those needs. And Lord, we lift all these uh, things up to you for the sake of your, Jesus, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premierchristianradio.com forward slash a mucky business.